Fantasy football season is here, and we have partnered up with DraftKings to bring you any of our 4 for 4 memberships for free. All you have to do is go to 444.com backslash DraftKings and follow the instructions. Hey, do you want to join the biggest season-long tournament ever? Of course you do. Then you need to enter the $3.5 million Best Ball Championship on Draft with a grand prize of $1 million. Just search for Draft in the App Store or go to Draft.com and get free entry into the Best Ball Championship when you make your first deposit with our promo code 4 for 4 If you think you have what it takes, then draft today for a shot at the $1 million jackpot. to another episode of 444 is the most accurate podcast you're usually hearing anthony stalter's voice right now but he's at the dentist and i thought i'd save him the suffering of having to to come off the dentist cleaning and, and have to do a podcast um i know i don't know about you guys but when i go to the dentist i usually just want to come home and get in the fetal position for about a few hours maybe netflix and chill so we're going to give uh, anthony the day off and it worked out well uh since this is wide receiver week at 444 and I'm happy to have one of the preeminent wide receiver experts in the fantasy community, Matt Harmon of Yahoo Fantasy, here today to talk receivers. Matt's reception perception charting work is widely known throughout the industry, uh, so I'm looking forward to picking his brain about some of the popular and not-so-popular names in the 2019 fantasy drafts. Uh, Matt, Matt, thanks for coming on. Hey, my pleasure, John. It's it's great. I feel, you know, we were talking a little bit before we, we you know, the started recording, and I, I end up doing a lot of these podcast appearances about wide receivers and everything like that, you know, especially coming off reception perception. But now that we've kind of had a few months to marinate on the reception perception data and then see some of the progress or lack of progress some of these guys have made in training camp, it actually is kind of fun to meld, you know, our predictions with what we expect to really see here in the next few weeks in terms of that actual you know, the big reveal, that uh, reality check that we're about to get. So it's a fun time, and I'm excited to talk to you today. All right, so we will pencil you in for a late August appearance every year there for the go. next 10 years. Um, before we get started, I have a couple of housekeeping I, housekeeping items. I just want to let the listeners know uh, that the music that brought us in, it's a track called Dissolve by Abso Facto, so check that out. Also, we've drawn the winner of the Rate and Review Contest. So if your handle is at Peter Lancetta, L-A-N-C-E-T-T-A on iTunes, Contact at LF on Twitter. That's at LF on Twitter. And he'll get you sorted with a 444 t-shirt. If you're not on Twitter, you can email support at 444.com. They can get you sorted with that t-shirt. So congratulations to Peter. All right, let's get started. Uh, Matt, would you like to give us a, an overview of what you uh, what got you into receiver charting and how reception perception helps you in your own fantasy analysis? Sure. So for those who aren't familiar with reception perception, it's a methodology that I developed uh, about five to six years ago to 
evaluate wide receiver play and specifically try to quantify the qualitative reality of route running because we hear things thrown around all the time about route running you know who this guy's a great route runner this guy's a great separator this guy runs short routes great but not so much this and that and 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 i really wanted to go in and actually kind of answer those questions myself because i would ask them frequently alone to myself on game day <laughs> like yeah you always hear commentators say well, you know, the quarterback just doesn't have anybody to throw to, or, you know, these guys are all open, but the quarterback can't get in the ball. And I, I, I thought, you know, someone really ought to go in there and, and chart, chart this, test it out, and see if this is really true or not, or, or what we can kind of discover from that. So that was kind of my way to, to make a name for myself in the industry. And, you know, the great part about this is that I've been doing this for five NFL seasons now. I have data going back to 2014. So it's been great to track players throughout their career, you know, especially some of those 2014 rookies, you know, Brandon Cooks, Odell Beckham. You know, I have every season that they've played logged in their career, and you can really see where things are different, where they start to separate themselves, or who's really good at what. And you also start to see what matters most and what is stable with these metrics. And I think that's been the coolest part of the last few years is that I, I've really started to be able to understand what this data is telling us. You know, for example, there are things that I, I said based on reception perception data back in 2015 or 2016 that I would never say today or I would never conclude. And that's just the, the benefit of having a wider sample and, and being able to understand the data more based on the longevity in which I've been working with it. So it's been great. It's like every year I feel like I learn more from it. Every year I feel like the data gets, you know, more, more intuitive and more interesting. And for that reason, I think there's a lot of guys we're going to talk about today where it really kind of helps me understand them better as players and separate them within fantasy tiers and, and try to understand like who's going to be good that we haven't really seen a full statistical production from yet. And maybe, you know, who, who can we understand or better categorize into roles, even if they don't necessarily have some of the greatest metrics in reception perception? Thank you for that. That was a great overview. Uh, I just would like to tell you and tell the, the listeners how I use your data. And it's probably in a way that you probably don't want me to use it. But for the <laughs> last few years, I've been uh, downloading and analyzing uh, Matt's charting data. And I've been doing something that Matt, I think you've warned against, which is to boil, boil down the data to a single number for each player. Um, I do that just to give myself a better idea of how players rank against one, one another. So um, if I see a 50-player sample uh, and somebody's 5th or 10th, um, I have a pretty good idea that they uh, have the route-running uh, prowess to, to succeed that in the following season. This helps me adjust my projections because um, I think it's a good indicator whether or not an unproven player is actually good. And I just wanted to share a couple of success stories um, everyone knows that Tyree Kill now, for example, is a, is a fantastic receiving talent. But heading into the 2017 season, if you remember, Hill was a pretty device, divisive player uh, in the fantasy community. Uh, he was going in the late fourth, early fifth round. And there were those who said he was going to flop in a larger role. And I remember talking with Matt uh, via Twitter, I believe, about his reception perception charting of Hill, which I think had him second uh, when, I, when I boiled it all down to one number for Hill. He was the second highest player in the 54-player sample that year. So it mm -hmm. told me that he did have the running prowess to succeed in a larger role, and it was an indicator that Hill was indeed good, and he went on to have a great season. Another player I think is a success story is Tyler Lockett, who we had to wait a few extra years uh, for him to, to sort of break out. But on low volume last year, uh, he's always done well in the charting, it seems, and that paid off last season. He turned in a, a high-end uh, wide receiver two uh, season on relatively low volume. And I think the thing that maybe 
isn't quite as obvious to everyone is that the reception perception works the other way as well. In 2016, there are a few examples here. Um, there was a few names near the bottom of the rankings that in hindsight seem pretty prophetic, Matt. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin was coming off back-to-back 940-plus yard season, uh, seven-plus touchdown seasons, uh, but he finished 52nd in the 54-player sample that year and went on to have kind of a disappointing season. Not a kind of disappointing, a very disappointing season in Carolina and then got traded to Buffalo and has since disappeared. Uh, Kenny Britt had a 1,000-yard season uh, for the Rams in 2016, but he finished 53rd in the charting. Uh, and had a terrible 2017 season in Cleveland and New England. And then uh, the third example from 2016, Devontae Parker, uh, coming off of a 744-yard sophomore season in 2016, but he finished dead last in the sample, and he's never been able to recover or build off that season. So I look at it not only in an indicator that this player is good, uh, but I can see where maybe uh, the the player is not as good uh, in terms of his route running and uh, I'm able to you know, factor that into my projections as well. So instead of immediately jumping into some of the more tantalizing receivers this season, I wanted to ask you about a player who consistently finishes towards the bottom of the one-number rankings. I'm just going to call him the one-number rankings because there's nothing else to call it. Um, but Brandon Cooks, but he did a little bit better in 2018, I think, in your charting. Mm-hmm. Why do you think he's able to consistently produce despite maybe suspect route running compared to the sample? Yeah, and to kind of touch on the point you were making about the the high-end guys versus the low-end guys, one thing that I have learned so much about this series, you know, over the five years of doing it is that, and it applies really heavily to a guy like Brandon Cooks. Like, I think when you see someone with a positive number, especially when you break it down to one number like that, which I I don't do, but I, I, I find it interesting that you do it. And then, but even just, you know, viewing like each number individually, you know, especially success rate versus man or press coverage, which are the primary metrics, um, you know, I, I think that when you look at those guys, the, the players in the high end, very rarely has a guy performed very well in reception perception, especially over multiple years, and then just gone on to have no NFL success. Um, there have been players that have done that in college football, like that I've charted, you know, but I didn't do rookies this past year because I no longer work for the NFL. I don't have access to that film to do it anymore. There are some guys who had great college numbers it didn't go on to find nfl success but very rarely in the sample have guys that on the super high end have gone on to to have big se- to have these to have these big seasons in reception perception and then just absolutely never do anything at the nfl level so that's one thing to note when we talk about these high end guys the low end guys i think it takes a bit more parsing you know you, you bring up great examples like kenny Britt, kelvin benjamin Devonte parker like those guys you know, they never found success, and also because of the roles that they're in. You know, they're outside receivers who are pretty much just running a standard route tree. Other guys like Brandon Cooks or, you know, some players we'll talk about later that are kind of these interior slot receivers, it just really takes, like, parsing out the role that they're going to be in and whether, you know, success rate versus press or man coverage really matters as much for some of these players because they're not actually out there on the outside like your Antonio Browns, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, facing top corners, going against press coverage on a vast majority of their routes. You know, they're able to get that free release as the flanker or the slot receiver, and that makes a big, big difference. And, and therefore, some of these other metrics like contested catch rate or, or their success rate versus zone coverage might come into effect more. And with a player like Brandon Cooks, you know, it's, it's, it all comes back to usage, right? Like, he, in prior years, I think this is key to what was so different in 2018. In prior years, with the Saints and the, and the, uh, the, the Patriots, he was almost exclusively a vertical route runner. And if you look at, like, the league-wide 
average success rate on reception perception routes, you know, naturally it goes down the farther you go down the route tree, you know, especially the vertical nine route, the success rate on that route, the average success rate is much lower than the slant or the curl or what have you. So these players who are vertical threats, you almost in your head, I don't know how to adjust for that statistically, but in your head, you almost have to be like, okay, yeah, of course, Cooks is, is, has these lower success rates because he is—he's running much more difficult routes than some of these a player like Sterling Shepard or something like that. So with Cooks specifically, though, in in LA, what I thought was so interesting was that Sean McVay actually kind of dialed back some of those vertical routes. You know, were they were they used very timely? Absolutely. You know, he was still a, a big play vertical guy, but you also saw him used on a lot of short crossing routes to get him into space, which I think he does very well. So I think 2018 was Cook's, no doubt about it, you know, unarguable best season. I also think he being paired with, you know, yet another great offensive mind, one who really has has wanted to have him for a long time, really helped his stock as well. Yeah, and he finished 34th in the sample after being in the bottom five, I think, the previous two years, according to uh, the one number ranking. So um, definitely his best season route running. And I think the going over to the Rams was a big, big part of that and how he's being used. That was a very good point. Um, let's talk about uh, Josh Gordon quickly. Uh, we haven't talked about it on the most accurate podcast. Uh, at least Anthony and I haven't talked about it yet because the, the, the news came down, uh, I believe it was late last week, uh, that he uh, is going to play this season. His uh, suspension has been lifted. Uh, I notice he's not in the 2018 data set and that makes sense since he wasn't part of the original 50 that you were going to be charting because we weren't expecting him to play. I went back and looked at 2017, and in the sample, he finished 10th out of 55, uh, and I don't believe he was in the 2016 sample. So uh, what do you make of Josh Gordon? Uh, You know, he played at a a pretty good pace uh, in 11 games with the Patriots, 58 catches, 1,040 yards, 4.3 touchdowns uh, in the last nine games, which I thought was interesting because his numbers improved as he sort of got more comfortable in the system. He played at a 64 catch 1134 yard 3.5 touchdown pace and uh, according to Kevin Zetlukel's uh, expected touchdown number he should have caught twice as many touchdowns so what do you make of, of Gordon this year his second season in the system there yeah I think it's really exciting when you look at his reception perception results for that first year like the five game sample that he had uh, with the Cleveland Browns when he first got back you know I actually thought to give credit to Hugh Jackson for once, <laughs> not this is not often going to happen, but I really thought the way that they used him that year was actually pretty creative. Like they didn't just trot him right back out at the X receiver position where they, you know, he's going to face, like I said earlier, press coverage. He's going to face a lot of uh, top cornerbacks. They actually used him as that flanker a little bit to get him a free release. They used him on a lot of a simplified route tree. You know, when you hear college prospects criticized for not running a full route tree, I think it's important to remember that some of these NFL guys, these you know, freak level athletes like uh, Josh Gordon or, you know, Julio Jones, Demarius Thomas is a great example, Des Bryant from years ago. There's a way to strip down the route tree for these guys. And they really did that very well in Cleveland his last year. I mean, I think over 60% of his routes were either a nine, a post, or a slant. So, I mean, you're just, you're really stripping it down to just three routes there. And that can be super effective for a player of Gordon's skill set. Now, obviously, like I said, I didn't collect the data this past season. I could go back and do it now, but give me a break, John. You know, I, I, I got enough on my plate at this point, and, and the contract is uh, is already the contract has already been fulfilled. So, I, <laughs> for research purposes, it could happen, but it's not going to happen. So, I think. But when you look at Gordon with the Patriots, I think the way that 
that you want to use him is is exactly what they did last year. You know, he clearly brings an explosive element. He's different from a player like a Julian Edelman. I think that he, Gordon, in my projections, I, I gave him about 97 targets. I think that's pretty fair if he plays 16 games. And that's going to put him as a top 30 receiver, at least to me. Um, I think you just kind of, for fantasy, it's really about like your risk tolerance. And mm-hmm. I think he's in that same tier as guys like Allen Robinson, Robbie Anderson, uh, Curtis Samuel, Mike Williams, those guys who could be volatile week-to-week producers, but certainly have a really tantalizing ceiling. So I think if your draft plan uh, accepts one of those guys, I think he's a very capable fifth-round pick in fantasy. Yeah, and his ADP has risen. I've been doing an ADP check on him the last few days, and it's in this, like the seventh round now. So he's going right along those those guys that you mentioned. And it, it, he, he hasn't finished a season since 2013, so that's the risk you, you take when you draft him. But I think in the seventh round, that's, that's not a bad... That's not a bad pick. Uh, All right, we're going to dive deeper into Matt's work here after uh, this word from our sponsor. Fantasy football season is here, and we have partnered up with DraftKings to bring you any of our 4 for 4 memberships for free. All you have to do is go to 4for4.com backslash DraftKings. Follow the instructions there. That's right. You'll get our optimal lineups, custom waiver pickups, draft analyzer software, trade evaluator and all the other great features in our memberships all for five dollars which you can then enter into contest to potentially win more we are super excited to bring you this deal if you want access right away go to 444.com backslash DraftKings and follow the instructions okay running down the the, the one number rankings from your data the, the first Several players are veritable who's who at the position. Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, Odell Beckham, uh, Antonio Brown, Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Stefan Diggs, and Julie Edelman, one of my favorite fourth-round picks. Actually, my favorite fourth-round pick this year. Uh, they're all in the top 10, uh, which speaks to what you were talking about. Uh, if they do very well in reception perception, they generally go on to have success if they haven't already. But a couple other names that pop up I wanted to talk about. Uh, Kelvin Ridley at 6, Tyler Lockett at 7. I think Lockett's targets will get a bump this year. Uh, from 70 with Doug Baldwin out of the way. I don't know how high they'll go in that run-heavy offense, or maybe maybe the Seahawks uh, have to throw a little bit more this year because they uh, the defense is not as good. But let's talk about Calvin Ridley. Would you would you call him an elite route runner? Yeah, and on Tyler Lockett too. I mean, who the hell else are they going to throw to? That that yep. passing that pass catcher depth chart is ugly behind Tyler Lockett, especially with Metcalf banged up. But on Calvin Ridley, you know, he's a guy much like um, much like a Tyler Lockett. Like he really shined as soon as you saw him hit the NFL field as a route runner. And, you know, if you if you pay attention to Calvin Ridley in college, that was pretty much exactly what you would expect from him. Like, he was a pro-level route runner in college. He was a pro-level route runner as soon as he hit the NFL field. I know a lot of the way that he scored fantasy points, specifically touchdowns, was a bit, you know, th- those numbers are bound to regress this coming year. But the thing that stands out to me is that I think the Falcons would be, you know, it would be categorically irresponsible for them not to give him an opportunity-based promotion. When you look at Calvin Ridley, you know, his success rate versus man coverage score fell at the 93rd percentile. He gets to play that flanker, sometimes slot receiver role. So, you know, he's seeing press coverage on about, uh, or he's seeing seeing press coverage on about 23% of his routes. And that's the exact benefit that you get playing alongside an alpha like a Julio Jones. You know, you can't just 
you've got to shade your cornerback off and give a free release a bit a little bit to Calvin Ridley when you're pressing the guy and shading a safety over to the other side of the field when there's a Julio Jones there so Ridley's in such a juicy role and he's also such a good separator I mean you watch him against some of these cornerbacks he's an unbelievable route runner in terms of his timing his technique his precision and the way he's just able to leave guys in the dust sometime just really shows you know he's not he's not a super high-end athlete at least from a testing perspective but man when he's out there he can really make guys look ridiculous so i'm it's hard not to be brazenly optimistic about ridley especially given the offense that he's in yeah my one question on him is is usage because he was actually out targeted by mohammed sanu last year 94 to 92 and that just doesn't seem right and i think that's what you're talking about with uh the promotion he's got a they really need to get him over 100 targets and it'd be nice if it was 120 but um that's what's standing between him and a wide receiver one or high-end wide receiver two type season. He admitted to being worn out on Sundays. As a side note, he, he was worn out on Sundays due to the way he practices. Apparently, he only knows one speed yeah. and just goes balls out in practice, and that may have resulted in a bit of a fade uh, down the stretch in terms of his uh, conditioning and how he was feeling. So, Isn't it so interesting when you hear things like that? Because you know, that's something that we can look at every number possible. We can look at every... Mm-hmm. bit of film possible but like until you really hear some of the players talk and like you're like oh yeah that's right these are human beings you know and there's, <laughs> there's these aren't just like data sets in a spreadsheet and like things like that really do affect them yeah i mean i think that there's a chance that calvin ridley and julio jones are you know stefan diggs and adam thielen when they're both putting up like wide receiver one seasons i think that's within the range of outcomes but i think that you know you do have to assume rational coaching there and that's yeah. that can, as our friend Sigmund Bloom often tells us, that can be a dangerous thing. And you know, specifically when you think about the Falcons versus the Vikings, the example that because I think I mean that's how high I think of Calvin Ridley as a route runner. I think he can mm-hmm. be that type of player. But the thing is, like in in Minnesota, you know, there's Laquan Treadwell sucking up air, and then there's you know, all, there's Aldrick Robinson in the past. There's a bunch just a bunch of goofballs behind those top two guys. <laughs> but you look at you look at Atlanta, like Muhammad Sanu. He's not a great player, but he's a quality, you know, slot receiver option that wins contested passes and can separate a little bit versus zone coverage. So, you know, that's a bigger target. And they also have a, a solid tight end too. They have a running back that they like to throw passes to. So it's it's not as easy to just slice off the targets from a projection standpoint that Ridley's gonna need, but I think he could just be so overwhelmingly good that he does command 100 targets. It's just probably, like you said, it's probably not going to be like that 120 range. Yeah. All right. So moving down the list uh, at 11, there is uh, number 11. There's one of your favorites and mine as well. Uh, and I have to, to to admit that this guy really came on my radar quickly, uh, you know, looking at your data. And um, that's Curtis Samuel. Uh, he fared much better in your charting than his teammate, DJ Moore. Uh, who finished 51st in the 53-player uh, sam- uh, sample. Uh, and Samuel's ADP has risen now after all of us have been hyping him. Uh, <laughs> I was getting him in the ninth round, and that was so much fun. Uh, but now he's in the seventh round. Do you think he's still worth a, a pick at that point in the draft? I think so, because I think both... I- I'm really bullish on this Panthers offense overall. I think this is, bar none, without question, the best set of skill position players that has ever been assembled in the Cam Newton era. I mean, you, you think of some of the guys that they've trotted out there before mm-hmm. to now they have, you know, we're talking like, I mean, and I have p- had people send me that throughout the summer as I'm talking about Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore, like, like, oh, the, you know, what about, 
Cam Newton's never supported two top 40 fantasy receivers. I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, no kidding. I can't believe he didn't support Jericho Cotri and Philly, Philly Brown two top 40 seasons together. That's pretty unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is such a good supporting cast that I think this whole offense could be the rising tide that raises all boats here. And I, I'm in – it is quite possible to be in on Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore together. Like, it, it's just – when you look at reception perception, I think what it shows you is the – you know, undeniable reality of what this situation looked like in 2018, which I think it's impossible to watch last year's Panthers and not come away seeing that there is a wide, wide gap between these two as route runners right now. You know, Curtis Samuel finishes above the 94th percentile in success rate versus man coverage. He is that Stefan Diggs type separator, you know, from an early career perspective. The same signs that you could see from Diggs as a rookie, you, you were seeing from Curtis Samuel as a second-year player. And it's important to remember that Curtis Samuel spent a lot of his own individual rookie season super hurt. You know, he, he got injured late in the year. And also, by the way, like Curtis Samuel is a guy who was like a hybrid running back receiver at Ohio State. It just shows you the incredible progress that this player's made to the point that he's at that 94th percentile. He doesn't have a route on the on the route tree that he finishes below the average success rate in the NFL. Now, DJ Moore, on the other hand, you know, he scores below the 10th percentile in success rate versus man and press coverage. That's not great, especially if you're going to be an outside X receiver, but I think Curtis Samuel is their X receiver. It's not DJ Moore. Moore, I think, is going to play in a role that's very similar to an Adam Thielen, to a Juju Smith-Schuster, who also don't perform as well as their their teammates or former teammate in Juju's case in reception perception. And I think that for that reason, the player comparison that has always stuck for me with DJ Moore is Golden Tate. I think those are very similar guys. I think that Tate also has some of these reception perception metrics where he's never been that great, but they're both good underneath route runners. They both understand how to separate into zone coverage and sit down where they need to sit down. They're both great after the catch, and they're great in the contested area too. So I'm in on both of these guys from a fantasy perspective um, because I'm bullish on this whole offense. But yeah, Curtis Samuel is the guy that I've been highlighting all offseason. I still think it's fine to take him in the seventh round. He's my favorite non-Chris Godwin breakout receiver. Yeah, I like. I still take him in the seventh round. I just liked it better in the ninth and the eighth. But oh yeah, that was that was inevitable. And I've I've learned that I can't live with. I can't get used to the ADP that I'm getting in June and July, and then expect it to still be there in August. There's too many times where I get into August, and now these guys that I like have have risen, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to pay that much for them um, because I was you know getting so used to to getting them later. It's still viable to 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 draft you you know what it it reminds me of uh and this is you know i'm not saying this to pat myself on the back because this was like the first success story of the of the series but remember like back heading into 2015 alan robinson was another player that you know in early mfl 10s in best ball drafts you could get him in like the eighth round like seventh round was being aggressive you know Mm -hmm. um and then all the high you know reception perception hype pieces and and then with same with consistent with with curtis samuel is that it's not just reception perception it's the coaching staff is excited everybody that observes training camp is excited everybody is hyping up this player because that's what and like if you're scared of hype like get over yourself because guess what like good players get hype that's the way this goes it's a freaking sport so <laughs> I, I and so same thing happens with Alan Robinson to the point that he was like a fifth round sometimes even fourth round pick in fantasy and 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 you were still by the way at the end of the season you were still happy you drafted him in the fourth round because he went on to score 14 touchdowns I'm not saying Curtis Samuel is going to score 14 touchdowns and be that that type of receiver, but I'm saying it's very possible for him to 
get boosted in, in price, you know, a full like two round difference from where we were used to getting him back at the beginning of the summer. And you still come away at the end of the season very happy that you spent a seventh round pick, which is that two round bump uh, on a player like Curtis Samuel, just like it was with Allen Robinson a few years ago. And I'd just like to throw in that uh, David Newton, the beat writer for uh, ESPN beat writer for the Panthers, named uh, Curtis Samuel the fantasy MVP uh, or the, the training camp MVP for this season. So just more good buzz coming out of camp uh, for Curtis Samuel. Um, I'd just like to mention at this point that Sterling Shepard uh, consistently does well in your charting over the last three years anyway. He pops up at 13 here, and uh, I think he should be able to handle more targets with Odell Beckham out of the way. Um, and you can comment on him if you'd like, but the guy I'd really like to like as a late round value at is at 16, and that's John Brown. Uh, Brown is on pace for 61 catches, 1,068 yards, uh, seven touchdowns through nine games with Joe Flacco throwing the ball. Josh Allen's accuracy on the 20 plus yard attempts was better than Joe Flacco's last year, and he attempted 59 such passes, uh, the 12th most in the league, despite only playing in 12 games as a rookie. So, what do you think of, uh, of Brown this year in the 12th, 13th round, where he was going? Yeah, just quick comment on Shepard, too. Like, I've always thought he was a very underrated player. He's one of the players that was really good in college in reception perception, and I think has become that player in the NFL. I just have always thought, like, man, if only he was with a quarterback who wasn't a corpse, and also, you know, he's the clear second fiddle on his team uh, behind Odell Beckham. I think that Shepard is not a number one receiver, but I think he can be the team's leader in targets. And I think last year he actually managed an 82nd percentile success rate versus press coverage, which I think shows you he can play that flanker position at least outside and not just be exclusively a slot receiver. He's gotten better in reception perception pretty much every year, which is something I also like to see. He's just stayed around the same area very good, but has just even gotten that much better. Now, John Brown, of course, like, look, if you followed me in the series for multiple years, you know I love John Brown. He's Anytime he's been healthy, which I think is 2014, 2015, and 2018, when he's pretty much been as himself, uh, not suffering from any you know knee injuries brought on by a sickle cell trait, he's posted a success rate versus man coverage score above the 90th percentile. He's a full field separator. He's a guy who wins deep. Of course, we know that, but also I think can win in the short game as well. I think he's matched with a quarterback who they can hit those deep deep throws, uh, but I also think that Brown himself, I don't know if his quarterback is, but Brown himself is capable uh, of more than that. Uh, so I think, I mean, Brown, like, yeah, the 12th, 13th round, especially in best ball. In best ball, it's like, that's an auto pick to me. But even in redraft leagues, I mean, if he's my wide receiver four or five, I'm pretty content with that because I know there are going to be weeks where if the Bills have to take to the air a little bit more, I'm comfortable with Brown out there, you know, potentially getting a boosted raw target total because I think he's the clear wide receiver one in this offense. I don't have faith in, in many of these other guys. And think about what Robert Foster was doing. I think he was on a thousand yard pace to end the season with Josh Allen. Um, you know, he's, he's become an afterthought in training camp, but I think John Brown is the superior talent in a redundant role. That just makes me all the more excited about what Brown could do on this team. Yeah. As soon as I have my, my quarterback in the 10th, 10th 11th round, uh, I'm immediately looking to add John Brown after that. Uh, that's typically my draft plan. And He's, a, he's a, as you mentioned, a great wide receiver four, wide receiver five. May not be like comfortable starting. May not get that every week production, but he's going to give you the big games as well. Yeah, no, uh, oh, by the way, too, same thing with John Brown as we've talked about with other players. Like everybody that's watched training camp this year says Brown, you know, there's, there's a huge difference between Brown and everyone else on the roster. Yeah, they're not even, it's not even a competition. Yeah. It's, it's Brown and then it's uh, Cole Beasley and then uh, the rest of the guys, it seems. So uh, moving on, uh, Anthony Miller is an interesting player because he didn't, he wasn't, super productive 
uh, last year. He didn't have a ton of opportunities. I mean, he was productive in his opportunities, but he didn't have a great overall line. And he came in 17th in the sample in the one one number rankings. He's a young receiver, uh, kind of faded down the stretch in, in terms of his playing time. Mitch Trubisky is a little bit of a scattershot in terms of his accuracy. Uh, but Miller came in uh, second in uh, our data scientist, uh, Kevin Zadlukal's rookie success model, which predicts uh, success in the player's first three seasons. So uh, he did, he fared well in your, in your, in your charting. What do you think of Miller? Yeah, I actually haven't talked much about Miller this offseason, haven't been asked much about Miller this offseason, but he's an exciting player. And I think it's, it's no, it's fair to note that he wasn't healthy last year and he suffered. He was, I think he was playing with a broken shoulder or a sprained shoulder throughout most of his rookie season. And I think that could be part of why he slipped down the stretch. Um, I, I really liked Miller coming out of college. I thought a lot of his collegiate reception perception metrics compared really favorably to Doug Baldwin coming into the NFL. And I don't think there's any reason to adjust those expectations coming out of year one. Because if you look at him in reception perception, he, he finishes as a, he's a strong separator, right? 85th percentile in success rate versus man coverage. He, so, and obviously he's good against zone, which is what you want to see out of a slot receiver like this. But I love the way that he gets loose on vertical routes. And I love the way he works in tight spaces too. So he's a guy that, that's not just a bunny hop receiver as a slot guy. He's a guy like Doug Baldwin who can get vertical. I think that he and Allen Robinson really complement each other well. There are uh, the, the only concern with for fantasy is that, of course, there's a lot of players in the Bears' offense to get targets. You know, there's Tariq Cohen. They want to use David Montgomery as a receiver. Trey Burton they have a little bit of hope for as like a bounce-back guy. Uh, Taylor Gabriel is an underrated guy, too. He, he still commands volume. So there's enough concern here from a raw target market share perspective to like not go all in on Anthony Miller, but good player in an offense that I think should be pretty good as well, and we'll have to throw more this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch that offense and how it progresses in the second season and, and everybody's role and how it changes a little bit with uh, with Montgomery in there uh, as well and Miller coming into his second season because everybody should progress a little bit. We'll see. Uh, a couple of my favorites, my favorite receivers, appear in the middle of the rankings. Uh, I was going crazy about Robbie Anderson late last year. Uh, helped me win a couple couple titles as he took over as the wide receiver one. He's, he's 20th in the, in the sample. And Chris Godwin at 20, 21st uh, in the sample. Let's talk about Anderson, though, um, first. And he, he, he really came on, uh, really started to, to, to click with uh, Sam Darnold there towards the end of the season. But he also didn't have much competition for targets to, at, at that point. Quincy Nunwin was out, uh, and they really didn't have much in the receiving core. Adam Gase uh, said earlier in the season that he was going to expand uh, Robbie Anderson's route tree. Do you think he's capable of running a bigger variety of routes this season? I think so. I mean, I think you can really see from his reception perception sample that he's got more to his game than just the vertical ability. You know, I think he's a guy who can run some of those showers, especially like shallow crossing routes and stuff. That's a perfect fit. Like we talked about with Brandon Cooks earlier. That's a perfect fit for his skill set. I think, he, I mean, he, there was only one route where he tested below the NFL average in success rate versus coverage, and that was the curl route, which is an important route. It's actually one of the one of my favorite ones to observe because I think you see it as a very high-end, like, functional part of an NFL passing game, and, and I think really good route runners run the curl route well, but I think there's a lot to get excited about with, with Anderson. I think that he could be a 1,000-yard um, receiver this year. Um, there's just so much that he can, if you see it with Sam Darnold too in the preseason, there's a connection there. 
Um, Darnold's ball placement on outside routes is, is good. And also some of those short layup routes, I think are going to be great for Anderson too, like the slant and everything like that. Get him into space with that speed. He had a, uh receiving lines of four for 76 and a touchdown seven for 96 and a touchdown and nine for 140 and a touchdown towards the end of the, uh, those are three consecutive games towards the end of the season. He averaged 9.8 targets per game in his last four. Um, my only concern is, is the targets, but, uh, this whole offense should be better this year. And I think, uh, he's a, he's a decent pick there in the seventh. I think I'd still rather have uh, Curtis Samuel at that point, or maybe a Josh Gordon. Um, for, as for Godwin, let's talk to him, talk about him. He's everybody's. I mean, I think everybody likes him. Yeah. Uh, now people are complaining that his ADP is too high and he's not worth a fourth round pick. Um, Get over. He's obviously a hot name <laughs> on the breakout circuit, and his ADP there in the fourth, fifth, is it too high for you, or do you think he's uh, going to be able to meet that those expectations and, and maybe even beat him? No, I don't understand. I mean, this is what drives me nuts about people, right? It's like, <laughs> what what do you, what more do you want? I mean, yeah, sure. Chris Godwin has not finished in the top 10 in, in you know, fantasy points before, but who cares? I mean, everything about his situation is pristine. He's playing in an offense that's going to throw the ball a lot. They're going to throw the ball down the field a lot based on who their, who their head coach and uh, who their quarterback is. They're an offense that's highly concentrated but just between, between three guys. It's pretty much Mike Evans, O.J. Howard, Chris Godwin. There's nothing else on the receiver depth chart. The running game is not going to happen. Ronald Jones, give me a break. Peyton Barber, no. Like This team is perfectly set up for a breakout receiver. And, oh, by the way, Chris Godwin is good. Like We've seen him produce at the NFL level. If you're burnt on that like week 10 or whatever game against, I was at the Saints where he had like one catch on 10 targets, again, get over it like everything sets up really well for godwin and the fact that he's he's not just a player we've seen produced the nfl level but in reception perception he shows that he can be that star level player his contested catch rate 88th percentile his success rate versus man coverage 87th percentile uh he, just one route was he below the charted average for success rate versus coverage and that was just the post route so he's a guy that and he's another one much like we talk about with sterling Shepard and anthony miller like He's a guy that's been good in reception perception in these exact same ways since he was in college. And again, anytime he's got an opportunity, he's produced. So, yeah, he's getting all this hype because, again, this is what happens. Good players in good roles get hype, and you have to pay for it. I'm sorry. Go get over it. I, I, I'm at the point now where I'm like, I'm just ready for Chris Godwin to break out. And uh, any like sheep that are not like in on the hype can just, you know, basically it's like get on board or get the hell out of the way here. Yeah, and you look at him, and he, you know, he he was kind of a part-time player last year. I mean, the snaps weren't starter level. He finished 25th in fantasy points, despite the fact that he played more than 70% of the snaps in just six games. Five of those games with came with Deshaun Jackson, mostly sidelined from week 13 to week 17. And 16 games where he saw at least four targets over the last two seasons, he played at a 72-catch, 1,075-yard, eight-touchdown pace, and that's on 108-target pace. So... This is, as you mentioned, this is just setting up perfectly for him. And you said the, you said he finished at a wide receiver twenty five in in fantasy. Yeah. yeah, and he's going as wide receiver eighteen now. You tell me, What's like, the big deal? yeah, what are you t- you tell me he can't give that give himself that much of a bump based on like all of this new opportunity that's there? Like, what I don't understand. I don't understand how anybody doubts Chris Godwin. I know I'm probably talking about like ten people on the planet uh, <laughs> right now, but it's one of those things where those that ten people, but those ten people bug me so much that I can't let it go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's definitely worth a fourth-round pick. I'm looking at him after, in PPR formats anyway, after uh, Julian Edelman's off the board. I just love Edelman's uh, floor at that point. Um, 
so here's a receiver whose breakout campaign is, you know, maybe not as strong there as Chris Godwin. It's kind of fallen on hard times. It's Dante Pettis. Uh, there's been some bad reports uh, out of camp, and I always pay attention to the bad reports at this time mm-hmm. of year because there's just so many good reports that the bad ones really should stick out and they end up meaning something. But he finished 27th in the 51 player sample uh, in 2018. Pretty good, you know, pretty good result. Not great, not terrible. Uh, what do you think of the, the recent scuttlebutt that he may not even start for the 49ers? I tend to not buy it. And and the fact that we saw him go out there with all 11 snaps with Jimmy Garoppolo, him and Marquise Goodwin, who mm-hmm. Marquise Goodwin, by the way, I still think is super undervalued. Um, like he's another one that in like the 15th round is an auto best ball pick for me. Um I, I still tend to think that Pettis ends up leading this wide receiver group in targets and catches. Um, you know, he's not the number one on his team. That's going to be George Kittle. But I, I think I think his ADP got a little inflated into, like, the sixth round. I wasn't really drafting him there um, because I think there are other players that are just, you know, they can be their team's alpha, you know, like an Allen Robinson or something like that. Uh, Josh, Josh Gordon, of course, wasn't there at the time being. But that's, like, the type of player I want to draft in the fifth, sixth round. Um, Pettis, you know, I, I still really like him as a player. Uh, you're looking at like a 73rd percentile guy versus man coverage. And I think it's impressive to note that like Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, or excuse me, it was John Lynch on NFL Network after they drafted Dante Pettis said, we took this guy because of his versatility, the fact that he can play flanker, slot, and X receiver. And I think you saw that again this past year. They drafted Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd, another pair of versatile players who, you know, they can do multiple things in a receiver group. But Pettis was out there playing as the X receiver, and he was thriving, not just in reception perception, but actually in the st- in, in fantasy too. So I, I, I really do have a lot of hope for him as a, as a contributing receiver for the 49ers, and I still tend to think that despite some of the camp negativity, I still think he's their top receiver on the depth chart. Yeah, you mentioned the, the snaps that he played with Jimmy Garoppolo. That definitely uh, helped me uh, move him up a few spots uh, this morning. I, I just worry about his role, but the fact that he was out there with the – with the starting quarterback was a good sign that maybe this is kind of overblown in terms of his uh, not not starting or not playing as much as we thought he would. He played at a 64 catch, 989, 11 touchdown pace, a 99 target pace over his final six games. So he proved it over a, a six game span. It's a still a fairly small sample, but um, that's better than nothing. And uh, it's actually quite a, quite a bit of data for you to work with when you when you're doing your charting yep. of him. So we're going to take a, a quick break uh, for another word from our sponsor. Hey, fantasy football fans, listen up. Do you want to join the biggest NFL season-long tournament ever? Of course you do. If you love fantasy football, and we know you do, then you need to enter the $3.5 million Best Ball Championship on draft. That's right, $3.5 million, real money, going to be huge. Here's how best ball works. It's season-long, but with no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. You don't even have to set your lineup. Your best players get automatically started, and you'll get their best score every week, guaranteed. No salary caps. Play in a real-life snake draft, just like you play with your friends in a season-long league. There's no better place to play, and you can draft the team anytime you want. Leagues start every couple of minutes, so you can join one right now. Just do a draft, and you could be a millionaire in 16 weeks. It doesn't get any easier than that. Join me on Draft today. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in the app or Play Store and join a game in minutes. Or play right now from your computer on Draft.com whenever you want. 
Right now, all new players get a free entry into a best ball draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use our promo code 4 for 4 That's right, play a real money game for free just by using promo code 4 for 4 That's the number 4, F-O-R, number 4, on your first deposit on draft. Just search draft in the app store or go to draft.com and come play for free with promo code 4 for 4 All right, we're back. Christian Kirk, as a rookie, came in sort of a mediocre 32nd in the sample, but that's not too bad for a rookie. Um, he was on pace for 50, 57 catches, 787 yards, four touchdowns in 12 games before a broken foot uh, knocked him out. That would have made him a low-end wide receiver three with uh, Josh Rosen throwing the ball, uh, and that's where he's currently being drafted. Do we, should we worry about his route running at all, or can we believe all the positive reports coming out of camp? No, I was actually really impressed with Christian Kirk as a rookie. You know, he was one of the players, you know, one of the very last players I got to interview at the NFL Network, one of my final few weeks there, I, I talked to Christian Kirk heading into his draft. And, you know, I, I asked him based on his reception perception sample, hey, like, look, I've got you charted for like 98% of your snaps in the slot. Can you actually be an outside player? Uh, or, or are you just a slot guy? He was emphatic. No, you know, I'm, I can play that flanker position. I can run the outside routes. And to his credit, he goes out there and shows it. I think when you give his, his situation context, you got to be pretty impressed with what he was doing in, in a hideous, hideous offense his rookie year. Um, I, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, he was a, he's a 68th percentile success rate versus man coverage player. Like, as you mentioned, that's not elite level stuff, but it's certainly above the NFL average. It's a pretty solid number. He was really good against zone coverage, an 80th percentile success rate. And I think he's going to see a lot of that as that flanker, sometimes slot receiver in this Cliff Kingsbury offense. I think I think I'm still really excited about Christian Kirk, you know, just just based on some minor concerns based on the preseason. You know, I, I still think they're not running what they're going to run in the regular season. I'm not super worried about the Arizona Cardinals offense. I just might move him, you know, down within his own tier and take guys where I was probably taking him over guys like Robbie Anderson or Curtis Samuel before. I might take those guys ahead of him right now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see this offense once the games actually count. Uh, I want to ask about his teammate, Larry Fitzgerald, who I have had a man crush on for I don't know how many years. I've had Larry Fitzgerald on so many fantasy teams, I've lost count. He's normally a top 25 guy in terms of his route running in in your sample, but last year it looks like he took a little bit of a dip, his his route running. Maybe it fell off a little bit. He finished 40th in the 51-52 player sample. So how much of this is due to to quarterback play, or does that not matter with with your charting? Uh, it doesn't matter so much with the charting. Uh, I think that it's just, you know, he's aging, right? It's just mm-hmm. he's getting a little older. And it's been, he's pretty much been the NFL's metronome, though, in this, in this charting for the last, like, three years. He's been super consistent, hasn't changed at all. Um, I think to see a little bit of a dip is kind of expected at this, a- at this age for him. His, uh, Arizona's past attempts dropped 17.2% from 2017 to 2018. He still finished... 26 in PPR formats, and he's getting a massive quarterback upgrade. You know, maybe you don't expect the 110 catches and, you know, 10 touchdowns or whatever from him anymore, but I think he's still a pretty good value. He's going in like the eighth, ninth round. Um, I think PPR, especially, it's going to bounce back, uh, maybe a top 20 season for him. DD um, Westbrook, who's a popular PPR value now, he's been doing well in camp. Uh, we, we know that uh, Nick Foles likes to throw to the slot, there's data to support that. Uh, he's averaged four catches for 46 yards, 0.26 touchdowns in 23 games for his two, first two seasons. Um, he's he's going in like the ninth round. Uh, he didn't fare particularly well in, in the charting, finishing 37th. What do you what do you notice about Westbrook when you looked at him? 
Yeah, I think Westbrook kind of fits into you know that speed slot receiver mold, and for that reason, I'm not too concerned with some of the lower metrics with him. Um, I think he's still a good vertical threat. I mean, his, he's got a funny looking route tree when you look at it, right? Because he's he's got that high success rate on the nine route, which I think is to be expected with his skill set. But I, I you do see he has pretty solid success rate numbers and having running them quite having run them quite a bit on the slant and the flat route. So I think that he can, he's Similar to, he's a lesser version of a guy like Robbie Anderson, a much lesser version, but a lesser version of a guy like uh, Robbie Anderson, who you want to see him on vertical patterns, but you also want to see him used in in a way like with the slant route and the flat route where he's getting into space. And, you know, he only faced press coverage on 11.5% of his routes and zone coverage on over 57%. So the fact that he's not a great success rate versus man or press coverage player is definitely lessened by the role that he plays, which I think would be quite good with Nick Foles. I, I, while I'm not like the biggest Westbrook fan as a player, I still find myself gravitating towards him in, depending on the team that I've constructed in kind of that eighth to ninth round range in, in, uh, in fantasy drafts. Yeah. I think the, the Jaguars might throw a little bit more than people think. I went through a Twitter thread where I just did, uh, I talked myself into Nick Foles as a, as a, possible QB2. Oh, that's dangerous. Yeah, that is dangerous. <laughs> um, but it just, you know, the Minnesota, uh, the Minnesota, uh, Joe DeFilippo or whatever his last name is, uh, he got fired from uh, the Vikings for uh, being too passive. And he's now the, uh, the offensive coordinator for the, uh, for the Jaguars. And Foles isn't going to run the ball like Bortles did at all. So there's going to be some more, more pass attempts there as well. And uh, so I think there's some upside here with this passing offense, actually, and we'll, we'll see how it, how, it, how it pans out. Another guy I want to ask about is Mike Williams. Uh, he finished just below Westbrook at 38th. Um, and I wanted to ask you about this specifically because he's a good contested target type guy. He caught 50% of his contested targets, according to uh, Player Profiler. Um, would this help him uh, to offset a lack of running process, uh, prowess, or do, is this something you worry about when you look at Williams in the middle rounds? I think it's something to note with Williams, and he's never going to be. He wasn't this in college either, right? Another player that very similar to who he was in college and reception perception. You know, he was sort of like a, a a below 50th percentile success rate versus man coverage player. But I do think he's pretty solid against zone coverage because he's. I think he's smarter than he gets credit for as a player. He knows how to use the boundary, knows how to position himself well for his quarterbacks. That's. I think you saw that develop with Philip Rivers this year, and I thought you certainly saw that with Deshaun Watson in college but yeah he does have a trump card trait you know his contested catch rate and reception perception is over 84 percent so that's like one of the best scores one of the, i think one of the top 15 scores in the entire series sample dating back to 2014 so it's certainly a trump card trait but also like when you break down his route tree yeah he's not going to be a guy that's going to get a ton of separation on the short patterns but because he's so big because he has those massive long strides he will get open on posts he will get open on nine routes and i think he's going to continue to be a vertical player, a guy that does you know score touchdowns for the Chargers, but that does lead to some concerns for fantasy where you're asking yourself, okay, I'm counting on deep plays, I'm counting on touchdowns. That's typically not what you're going to want to count on on a weekly basis for fantasy out of your wide receiver too. So I think he's another player that's very sensitive to how are you going to construct the wide receiver core around him based on do you want to take Mike Williams. Yeah, and things are setting up for him fairly well with Terrell Williams gone. He had 41 catches, 653 yards, and five touchdowns. He only had four targets per game. Um, but those targets now get dispersed, and you know maybe Hunter Henry sees a couple, and maybe Williams sees a couple. Uh, Travis Benjamin there is the wide receiver three, but he's got a good quarterback throwing him the ball, and he should be seeing a promotion. So 
Uh, he's an intriguing breakout candidate as well. I'm going to talk about another breakout candidate, Cortland Sutton. Uh, maybe taking a dip now in his ADP with Emmanuel Sanders, looking like he's healthy coming off the torn Achilles. Um, Sutton's rut running put him 44th in the sample. Um, he's, his contested catch rate was lower at player profile, 35%. Um, do you worry about Sutton uh, and his you know, breakout potential given, given his showing as a rut runner, or does this not really matter? A little worried because, you know, this was another, I mean, I don't mean to keep saying this, but he was another guy that, like, his results weren't surprising to me as a rookie based on studying him as a college prospect because he was a guy who wasn't a great technician. He was not a good route runner at college. He showed, like, anyone that, that studied him in college should see, okay, this guy's going to take some time to get up to speed. So it wasn't necessarily surprising that he performs poorly in reception perception or performs poorly, really. Like, when everybody was excited about Corlin Sutton, it was kind of a letdown, right? But mm-hmm. I don't think the, the the Broncos were necessarily expecting him to be their number one receiver. That just ended up happening because they trade away Demarius Thomas and then Emmanuel Sanders gets hurt. Um, I think Sanders being back for this team is a huge deal. Um, I think it, it kind of takes the value out of it. kind of takes the, the air out of the balloon for pretty much everybody else in the offense, although I do still really, really like Deshaun Hamilton as a player. But I don't know if it's going to happen this year for fantasy. But with Cortland Sutton, you know, he reminds me a lot of like a Devontae Parker player because some of these other guys we're talking about, you know, the um, the the, the Juju Smith-Schusters of the world, the DJ Moores of the world, the guys who the, – the Golden Tates, like these slot receiver players who have low success rate versus man or press coverage scores, you can – you can get around that because of the role that they play in, but Cortland Sutton, like Devontae Parker, is an outside X receiver. If he does not improve in success rate versus man or press coverage, there's not a lot of guys that have, have carried that profile and then gone on to be super productive at the NFL level. He's going off the board wide receiver 43 now, and uh, FFPC, it's the 11th or 10th round. Maybe he's going off in the 9th, ninth, 10th ninth, round in regular drafts. Um, once Demarius Thomas was traded, Sutton's projection uh, – Increased to a 50 catch, 70 to 60 yard, four touchdown pace, which was good enough to make him the 40, number 42 receiver from week nine to week 17. And that was with Emmanuel Sanders, I think, out for most of that time. So Emmanuel Sanders being back, I'm not seeing the value uh, at, at Sutton, even in the 10th round, maybe 11th yeah. or 12th, um, if you'd miss out on uh, John Brown or something like that. But I think there's just better dart throws to, to yeah. make. Yeah, he's a dart throw, so like, who cares? If he, if he doesn't work out, it's not going to kill your draft. But I think there are just better dart throws to make. So you, you talked about a few of these guys already, but a few of the other names at the bottom of the ranks, Jarvis Landry, Juju Smith-Schuster, D.J. Moore, who you've already talked about at length, but they all have high contested catch rates and do well uh, in tight spaces. Um, do you worry about the lack of route running process with these receivers in terms of success rates, or is that not really does that really matter due to their positioning on the field? I don't think it matters because of that positioning on the field, like you mentioned. And I, it was really a couple of years ago that it got me that got me thinking about this, and it was Juju specifically, and Adam Thielen that got me thinking about this because Juju was played almost an like when you look at the way that like Antonio Brown and Juju Smith Schuster lined up last year, and I, I tweeted this out if if people want to just use hashtag reception perception and search their names, I think you could probably find it. Um, like the, the way the coverages that these guys face based on where they line up is just so dramatically different that they almost play different positions and therefore I don't really care about comparing them to each other because um, I think the way that you line up really impacts the way you produce and not just on the stat sheet but also in reception perception and you know Juju was an outside receiver in college 
Um, and Adam Thielen was an outside receiver in his first kind of splashing at the NFL level. And then we see both of these guys play this sort of big slot receiver role, and it really changes the type of coverages you face. You know, you sure, I don't think Juju is great against press. I don't think DJ Moore, he certainly wasn't good against press last year. I don't, maybe he will never be. He could, he could still develop, so like, let's keep that in mind. He's still a super young uh, player, but... You know, Juju's facing press coverage less than 30% of his routes. He's facing zone coverage more than the average receiver. Same with a guy like a Golden Tate or a DJ Moore or a Jarvis Landry to a certain extent. So the, the fact that these guys, yeah, they don't separate well versus man or press coverage, it doesn't matter as much to me because they are not facing it as often. It's pretty much just, yeah, like it, it, that's why I think the series helps us categorize like what makes us what makes a player successful within the context of their role and i think these guys do things very well you mentioned contested catches you mentioned after the catch beating zone coverage that's all things that 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 these players do really well i mean juju has an 84 percent success rate versus zone coverage which matters because that's the thing that he's facing more often than most nfl receivers all right so we've kind of gone through uh everybody in the sample that i want to talk about but i wanted to ask you about maybe i think this is a really important competition in, in uh, Pittsburgh as the wide receiver two. Um, obviously Antonio Brown is uh, trying on helmets in, in Oakland. Uh, <laughs> so we've got Dante Moncrief and James Washington uh, kind of battling for that starting spot. Uh, and at the start of this off season or OTAs and early in camp, it looked like Dante Moncrief was going to win that job in according to the beat writers. Um, but he's missed time with an injury, and Washington had a really good game, uh, preseason game, uh, 80-something-plus yards, caught a big, long ball, uh, and he's making his case as well. I know you liked Washington coming out of college, uh, and these are you know, not players that are in the data set for 2018, but you studied them both. Um, what, do you think one has the edge on the other in route running? Yeah, that's a really it's a really tough question because I think Moncrief at different points in his career in reception perception showed that he could be – a solid number two receiver, you know, a boundary route runner, a guy who functions well along the sideline, a guy who, you know, can can be pretty solid over the middle of the field too. So, I mean, there was a time when I thought he had a lot of potential as a starting NFL receiver, and it's just, it's been so long since that, and it's, it's we haven't really gotten much payoff. I mean, I think people give Moncrief too much grief for uh, for for what he did as an because they because he's another one that everyone's burned on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he can be a solid starting caliber receiver. Um, I, I think that right now I'm I'm projecting Moncrief to be the number two receiver and it, for it to be pretty convincing. With James Washington, yeah, I really liked him coming out of college. The only concerning note in his profile, and this is a point I've brought up with a lot of players over the last few years, he was a guy in college who lined up on only one side of the field. Um, you know, he in reception perception from the classes that I looked at, you know, from uh, 2016 to the 2018 receiver class, when you look at guys who only line up on one side of the field, you know, you're looking at guys like um, Laquan Treadwell. You're looking at guys uh, like a uh, Kevin White. You're looking at Doriel Green Beckham. You know, kind of like a who's a Josh Doxton, like a who's who uh. of busts. Corey Coleman, also you can put in there. Um, and James Washington was among that data set. I don't think the story's been completely written on him, but one, the only guy from this group that you've really seen like actually eventually break out, actually two guys really, is D.D. Westbrook and Juju Smith-Schuster, and, you know, obviously to varying degrees of breakout there. But mm-hmm. those guys went on to change their roles at the NFL level. You know, they went on to become more interior receivers, which I think does make a difference. So with James Washington, I think the, the, the things that he did really well in college was – He's like a Marvin Jones type of player to me. 
a good vertical player and a good and good in contested catches. I don't think that Washington's ever going to be a great separator like he was in college. Like he's another one who had great reception perception numbers in college, but wouldn't surprise me if he never reaches that height at the NFL level because of just the role that he's going to be asked to play. So I think I still have a lot of hope for James Washington. I think he isn't someone that I'm willing to give up on yet and I like that we're seeing some great things out of him in preseason. I just hope it's not going to be like last preseason when we saw great things out of him and then uh, Ben Roethlisberger went on to kind of, you know, to, to not start the season well and then Washington really finished the season poorly and Pittsburgh was like a game day inactive sometimes. So I still have hope for him, though. Yeah, this is an interesting – I'm interested to see how it shakes out because if one of these players is getting 80 90% of the snaps and the other one's getting – 50, 60% of the snaps. I think Washington played 55% of the snaps in the games he played last year. Then whoever's getting all that playing time, the winner of this competition, so to speak, is going to be a fantasy starter in all likelihood. Yeah. Uh, if it's more of a 75 to 70 thing where they're rotating, then you can get into some dicey weeks where you just don't know if you can trust them in any given week because it might be one or the other popping up. Uh, so this is a... This is, I think this is a really compelling job. I want to see how it kind of shakes out over the first eight weeks of the season and if Moncrief can hold on to it. Right now it looks like he's got the job, but we will see. Um, the rookie wide receiver class this year, there are just not a lot of guys going very early in drafts because the roles are not really there that we can see right now. And I know these, there's going to be some rookies that pop up and are getting you know 70 80% of the snaps and end up being fantasy relevant this year. Is there a rookie or two in this class that you think will be able to shine if he's given a big year one role. Yeah, I was really starting to come around to DK Metcalf right around the time he got hurt, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is unfortunate um, because it looked like he was a clear number two on a receiver depth chart that is just filled with, you know, just n- not intriguing players. Um, but one guy that I really am interested in, you know, and I consistently find myself gravitating towards him like the last round of a best ball draft is Miles Boykin. He was my number two receiver in the class this year behind only his now current teammate, Hollywood Brown, who we know is going to start slow if we get much out of him as a rookie at all because he's not completely healthy right now. I, I don't know about you, John, but I really find myself loving the Ravens this year, not just for fantasy, but also from just like a watchability perspective. I'm so intrigued with what they're going to do. And Boykin right now, he stands out as a guy that I think can be a starting receiver in the NFL and I think can be a starting receiver on his own team. Um, he's been getting some run with the ones in training camp, some, one with the, some run with the ones in preseason, and I think he could end up being you know, their number one receiver by year's end because he brings something different you know, from a guy like Willie Sneed or even Mark Andrews, and that's, I think he's a guy who, who's that big outside-the-numbers receiver. That's not where Lamar Jackson necessarily shined as a rookie, but I still have a lot of hope that Lamar can take a step forward, and, and Boykin is such a good talent that I, I'm really interested in him as kind of a last-round pick. Yeah, that's going to be a fascinating offense to watch with Greg Roman calling the plays. He's a run aficionado, uh, but we'll see if what he can get out of Lamar Jackson as a as a passer as well. And one note on Metcalf, uh, I believe it's a scope that he had done. I'm guessing he got some cartilage uh, uh, trimmed. Uh, I had two of those in college, two different years in my basketball career in college, and I was back uh, within a month. It was probably three weeks where I could have come back, but the doc always gave it an extra week before I was back to 100%. So um, I don't know how much time he's actually going to miss. So, And you might see a, a pretty good dip in his ADP because of that injury. He's, people are also, you know, already kind of lukewarm on him. Um, so he was going fairly late. But I think you're right about that uh, receiving core. You know, Jaron Brown, who they like in terms of his versatility, but has never been a good fantasy receiver. David Moore has moments. 
Um, but yeah, they're look, they're looking for somebody, and there's you know Will Disley's the tight end, you know. So I mean, they're looking for people to throw the ball to, and that's why they took Metcalf. I, I think you could take the discount on him and uh, maybe enjoy it uh, come October. You know, maybe maybe gets off to a slow start in September. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I really like Metcalf as a player, and I really like him in this offense. So you're known for uh, reception perception, and I know you do a lot of podcasts where you're talking about receivers. But I want to give you an opportunity to plug a non-receiver sleeper or uh, several, if you'd like, uh, a value that stands out uh, this season. Who, who do you love other other than these receivers we've been talking about? Yeah, I mean, Justice Hill in that same in on that same team, another rookie is a guy I really like. You know, he's a player that like I, I was talking about this on our Yahoo Fantasy Football podcast with Liz Loza last week. Like, there are just some late round picks that you should make and some late round picks that you should not make. <laughs> you know, for example, players like those Bucks running backs, like Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber, probably not going to make your fantasy season. Probably not going to make a difference on your team. But even if they finish in like the top forty five of the position, who cares? Um, but a player like Justice Hill. I think can really actually make a difference for your team. If something happens to Mark Ingram, if he just carves out a really good role, he's a guy that I've been gravitating to late in drafts. I know a lot of people really like him, but I, he's a player that I, I think is it should be on more people's radar. Yeah, it's certainly from an attrition standpoint, huge upside there given how much they run. I mean, if they're down Mark Ingram and they're, they're you know they've got Gus Edwards and Justice Hill there, um, that's all of a sudden you're you know you're working into fantasy starter level, and then he's already shown in the preseason that he can catch the ball and do some things there. So um, I, I like the pick. I like it a lot. Thanks for coming on. That about wraps it up. You can, you can find Mark, Matt Harmon's work at Yahoo fantasy, uh, his reception perception work at the fantasy footballers, and be sure to follow him on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. I think that's still for the backyard banter. If I'm not mistaken there, Matt, thanks always, for coming on. Always and forever, my friend really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I'm actually going to have Matt's colleague on, uh, next week at Yahoo. Uh, one of my favorite people in the industry, Andy Barons, is going to come on next week. So until then, this has been the 444 is the most accurate podcast. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve